Let's get into the Word of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to two places. It's always good to bring your Bible with you, or you can look on your phone. That's what I do. First, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and after you find your way there, maybe just put a little bookmark there, hold it with your finger, or, or, or reference it on your phone, and then go to Numbers chapter 11. You are getting a double portion today, double for your trouble. And we're beginning a brand new series of messages called Camped out. I asked people to share some of their camping stories with me. They were hilarious. Um, maybe I'll work some of those in, uh, especially the one about um, being at an equestrian camp. That one was great. Um, but we're, we're beginning this brand new series, and I've been cooking this one up for a while. Um, but before we just dig in, I need to set the table. I, I need to set the table for where we're going in this series and, and help you understand, because we're going to go on a trip together. But this isn't a beach vacation. We're not just gonna kick up our feet and see all the tourist spots. We are hitting the road and we are pitching a tent and we're gonna retrace the route that the Israelites went through while they wandered in the wilderness. And 1 Corinthians 10 gives us some insight on why this is important for us to do. I wanna read through this quickly, but this is the key passage for this entire series. It's worth reading in its entirety, but 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse one, Paul's writing, and he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that all our ancestors who left Egypt were under the cloud, and they all went through the sea. They were all united with Moses by baptism in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that went with them, and that rock was Christ. Sounds good so far? But things, things take a turn. It says, yet God was not pleased with most of them. So their dead bodies were scattered over the desert. Welcome to Velocity Church. I hope you feel encouraged. <laughs> Verse 6 says, these things have become examples for us so that we won't desire what is evil as they did. And you might want to highlight that or, or mark that. That's kind of going to be a focus for today. I want to skip to verse 11, just for the sake of time. It says, these things happened to make them an example for others. These things are written down as a warning for us who are living in the closing days of history. Man, if that's what Paul said then, what do you think about right now? So people who think they are standing firmly should be careful that they don't fall. So, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, look, friends, I don't want you to get tripped up in your walk with God. I know you've been following Jesus. I know you're part of church community. I know you've experienced the provision of God. I know you've experienced the blessing of God. I know you've experienced God's presence and some supernatural things and, and miracles. I know you've been baptized. Guess what? So were the Israelites. They walked with Moses. They, they experienced God's presence, followed the same path Moses did. They received the same supernatural provision, but their godly experience didn't guarantee righteous decisions. So Paul says, I, I want to encourage you to revisit what they went through so that you can learn some lessons from their mistakes. Because all these things were written to be our example. And, and where we're going to look at 
you're going to enjoy this series over the next few weeks because what we're going to look at is not the famous sights on their journey. We're not looking at the Red Sea. You already know that story. You, you've been there. We're, we're not going to visit Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. You, you, you've been there. You, you know that story. We're, we're not going to visit the Israelites when they made the golden calf and all that stuff happened. You know that story. Well, we're going to look at some stories that maybe I'd venture to say you, you didn't even know were in the Bible. So some of the, the lesser known lessons we can learn from the Israelites. And we're going to do this by, at least for today, starting in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Now you can find that other scripture in your Bible. And quick little context for all of us, if you're not familiar with Numbers, just so we're all on the same page. But the, the book of Numbers, it continues the story of the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt. So this is what's happened. God brought them out of Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai, where they camp out there for a year. While they're there at Mount Sinai, God begins to give them some instructions to teach them how to be a nation. This is what happens largely in Leviticus, that book you usually skip over, that, that one. And then in the beginning of Numbers, they take a census. And so uh, that's why it's called Numbers, because they're counting everything. And, and so this is where we're at. But in Numbers chapter 11, after being camped out at Mount Sinai for a year, now they start their journey towards the promised land. They begin to, to set out. And we're going to start in verse 1, and then verse 4 through 6 is where we're going to focus in on. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Verse 4, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the acai bowls, the onions, and the garlic, all of that stuff. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And I want to use this passage of Scripture today to speak to you from the subject called killer cravings. Killer cravings. Most translations say that the rabble among them began to have strong cravings for other food, serious cravings, killer cravings. I wonder, do you have any killer cravings? Like, like I mean, just, just something that, I'm, I'm talking food now, like, like just something that you, you get really hungry for. Did anybody have like a, a favorite junk food? Junk food, what, what are some of your favorite, some of your favorite foods? Just shout them out at me, let me. Pizza, heard pizza? Honey buns? Do, do not use this as an opportunity to show everybody how healthy you are. If you say kale chips, you have to give double in the offering. That is a rule. Okay, pizza, honey buns, ice cream, Cheetos. You're making me hungry. I like it. It's, it's funny our uh, breadstick, anything carbs for me, really. It's, it's funny the different foods we like. I mean, it says a lot about our, our preferences, and I think about it with, with me and Marissa, because me and Marissa, we're a lot alike in so many different ways. We, we have so much in common, and we do have some, some differences, too. We have a lot of ways we're not alike, but probably there, there's one of the, the most extreme places where I notice our differences is in our restaurant choices. Restaurant, like, like for me, 
I like going to new places. If, I, if we're going to go out to eat, I want to go to a place I've never been before. I want to experience something new. I especially like it when it's local. I love it even more if the place is unique, like if it's got some kind of twist on it or just not, something you don't get every place. So, so, so that's mine. But uh, like we went to St. Louis recently. We were in St. Louis last week, and we hit up like all the St. Louis staples you can only get in St. Louis because I, I want to eat the local food, the unique stuff. And and that, that, that's me. But Marissa, well, Marissa, she's, she's got different tastes than I do. Not bad taste. She has great taste, expensive taste most of the time. But like she can pick out the most expensive thing in a store just without even knowing the price. But she, she has good taste. But our, our, our choices when it comes to restaurants are, are different. Like uh, a few years ago, we went to uh, Paris for our 15-year anniversary, I think her favorite place we ate at while we were there was McDonald's. <laughs> I'm serious. Not because, like, McDonald's is her favorite restaurant, just, like, she, she, she like, it's familiar, right? Like, she knows what to expect. Like, Marissa, I'm trying to say, like, she, she likes chains. Chain restaurants, I mean. She likes, that's what they're called. <laughs> chain. <laughs> she, she likes chains, chain restaurants. And maybe Marissa and I aren't, aren't so different because I think really at our core, all of us, all of us like things that are familiar. We, we crave what's familiar, especially when, when we're in a place that's strange. See, in Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites are in a strange place, in a new place, a place that's unfamiliar. So I can understand why when we read in verse 4 that they begin to crave some food that was familiar because they were in a new place. You've got to remember, all they had ever known for the last 430 years was slavery, was shackles. To put that in perspective, America just celebrated 246 years. So nearly double uh, our nation's history, they, they've been experiencing slavery. They've been experiencing oppression. They've been experiencing chains. And now that they're in a place where they've leave, they're, they're leaving what they've known, they're in some place new, it's understandable to me why they would crave something that's familiar. I'm just trying to set this up so we can connect with them because for many of us, it's easy to read the Bible with some snobbery. It's easy to read the Bible like, how stupid can you be, Israelites? Like, God brought you out of Egypt. He has, you know, put his grace on you. He is providing for you supernaturally. And all you can do is complain. All you can do is think about what you left behind. Like, you know, selective memory, how like sometimes you, you, you remember things better than they actually were. It's like, do you not realize what you left behind? And now you want to go back to that? Well, let us not forget, they're in a new place. They're just craving something that's familiar. And I, I'm not suggesting to you that it's okay. I'm just trying to, to help us understand the reason why any of us crave things that are comforting, that ultimately end up being crippling, is because it meets a need in the moment. In the moment. I mean, you can take anything, whether you're talking about a food craving or whether you're talking about something more serious. 
whether it's a drug addiction or alcohol abuse or a sexual sin, it meets a need in the moment. And if we were honest about that, it, it might help us move past it. Because I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm not saying that it's even helpful. I, I'm just saying to help understand why we do it, the need itself isn't wrong. It's how we're going about trying to meet it. See, God wants to meet that need. There's a better way to meet that need. And part of following Christ is understanding that God's intent for you isn't just to wander through the wilderness and suffer and struggle while you're surviving. God's plan for you is to understand how to get that need met, how to get that need met through Christ. There, there's a better way. And so what we're going to learn as we look at the story is that even though they've left Egypt, not all of Egypt has left them. That's why we find ourselves filling our lives with things that make us feel worse in the end. And I'm just, I'm spending some time here just to set up this point. I want to make it really clear that all of us were drawn to chains because they're familiar, not because they're safe. Does that make sense to you? The, the, they help us feel secure in the moment, but they really keep us shackled. That's what chains are. Now, obviously when I'm talking about chains, I'm, I'm not talking about your, your food craving. I'm talking about anything that keeps us tethered to our old life. Sometimes it can be people. I'm not telling you that you need to cut people from your life. If anything, you need people in your life, but you need the right people in your life. Because some of us have people in our lives that feel good, that are good to us, but they're not good for us. I'm not saying that they're bad people, but I'm saying that if they keep you tethered to an old way of life, you, 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 we find ourselves craving change. Really, when I'm talking about cravings, though, I, I, I want to exchange this idea of food for thought. Because what, what really keeps us shackled isn't our taste buds, it's our old mindsets. It's our old mindsets. It's ways of thinking that we have that, that haven't moved beyond us being in bondage. It's paradigms and preferences that we've carried over from when we were still prisoners. And even though we've accepted Christ, even though we've experienced the grace of God, even though we've experienced the mercy of God, even though we've experienced the blessing of God, the the provision of God, the, the presence of God, even though we've experienced these things, if we fail to renew our mind, we'll revert back to an old menu. That's what's going on here. You see, the Israelites, they've experienced these things, but they've been in the wilderness now for a year. And while they've been in the wilderness, God has been feeding them with manna. Manna. Now, if you don't know what manna is, join the club. None of us know what it is because it's not around anymore. It was a supernatural provision from God. It was the origi original angel food cake. It was food from heaven. I, I, I say that because it was kind of this, I don't know, it, it was like carbohydrates. I don't know, it was like donuts. We really don't, don't know. Um, we, we don't know what it was. We know it was sweet. We don't, we don't know what it was, but we do know what it looked like. We know what it looked like, as Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 16. First time we hear about manna, and it tells us how it comes. It says, 
in verse 14, after the dew was gone, something like thin flakes of frost was on the ground. So we don't know what manna is or what manna was, but we do know what it looked like. It, it looked like little frosted flakes. So at the very least, we know that it was great. It was, it was great. Um, but it says, when, when the Israelites saw it, they asked each other, what is that? Because they did not know what it was. So Moses told them, this is the food the Lord is giving you to eat. Now, when they said, what is that? That word translates literally manna. They saw this, they said, manna. What, what is that? That's, that word, what is that, means manna. It was new to them. They'd never experienced this before. They, they didn't know what it was. The, the dew would appear, the manna would come. It was like Amazon Prime in the wilderness right outside their tent, and they could get enough of it for that day. It was miraculous how it happened, but I want you to understand, this has been going on for a year now, and what started as a blessing now has become boring. See, now this is a marriage sermon. <laughs> because anytime we minimize a miracle, I'll put it this way, it's easy to minimize a miracle when it becomes monotonous. You prayed for that person. You prayed for that partner. You prayed for that spouse. But when the possibility becomes predictability, that's when disillusionment sets in. We don't have to talk about marriage. Talk about anything in your life that God has given you that's a blessing, that's a gift from God. It could be a job. At one point, you were praying, God, can I have this job? God, if I could just get in that place. You begged God for that opportunity. But the moment the job became routine, the moment it became repetitive, now we begin to resist. Well, so in this situation, they've been following God in the wilderness. It was a blessing, the manna was a blessing, but now it's beginning to taste bland because they've been eating the same thing every day. Kind of reminds me, we were, um, we did Legacy Social uh, a couple weeks back. Legacy Social, it's a, it's youth group for everybody 55 and up. So it's awesome. We, we only do it a few times a year. We just did it, kicked it off. It was great. So uh, if you want to come to youth group and you're over 55, that's the group for you. But we played this game and uh, we, we played this game, Would You Rather? And one of the questions was, would you rather only be able to eat your favorite food or would for the rest of your life or would you rather never be able to eat your favorite food. I think it was actually like five favorite foods or whatever. People were like, oh, I want to eat my favorite food. That's all I do is eat my favorite food anyway, because you can do that when you're over 55, just whatever you want to do. But um, you paid your dues. But uh, they're like, yeah, I just want to eat my favorite food. And I was thinking like, I don't know, like for me, I think I'll find some new favorite food because even no matter how good it is, if it's the same thing every day, all day, forever and ever, I, I, uh, I don't know that I can do that. So on one hand, it's understandable that they would get tired of manna because even though the manna was good, and it was good, it tasted like honey. In fact, it was more than good. It was, help me with it, great. Yeah, manna was great. 
even though A was great, it was still the same thing every day. At least that's how I thought. But I, I noticed something in this passage that caught my attention, and this is the one lesson that we need to learn from this campsite. It's in verses four through six. Look at it with me. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat. And they think of all the stuff in Egypt. Notice verse six. But now we've lost our appetite. How is that possible? It doesn't make sense to me because the previous verse said they had a strong craving, a killer craving, serious craving, a grave craving. They, they, they had a, a strong craving and now they're saying that they lost their appetite? See, I need to explain this for a moment because it would be helpful for us to understand. On one hand, the manna was never meant to satisfy them. The manna was never meant to be permanent. The manna was God's mercy. It, it was given to them to sustain them in the wilderness so that they didn't die. God's plan for them was never manna. God's plan for them was grapes. God's plan for them was cattle. God's plan for them was farms and fields and to settle in the promised land. So the, the manna wasn't supposed to be permanent. And I just need to help you understand this, that sometimes the things we receive from God, they're not meant to satisfy you. They're only meant to sustain you so that you don't settle in a place of survival. The, the manna is meant to move you forward. So, so that's one side of it is that the manna was not God's plan. The other side, though, is that the manna was God's provision. The, the manna was good. It was great. The manna was a miracle. The manna was God's mercy. The, the manna was God's grace. So if we're going to recognize that the manna was a symbol of God's grace, then we also need to recognize at this point they took God's grace for granted. They lost their appetite for it. And here's what Here's the main point that we need to grab is that they started craving what wasn't helpful because they lost their appetite for what was holy. See, this is, this is what I really want to talk to you about. It's this, this question of what makes me crave these things that kill me? Why do I crave things that I hate? Why do I long for what leaves me in chains? Why do I want things that I really don't like? Come on, am I preaching real at all? Have you ever been there? You can talk about food, like, man, why did I eat that? I feel awful. And we all know we're not really talking about food. Why did I do that? Why do I want that, but I don't really want it, but I do it? Why do I gravitate towards self-pity? Why do I say horrible things about myself? Well, why does my mind always drift towards negativity? Why do I always assume the worst possible scenario? The reason is you crave what kills you whenever you lose your appetite for what fills you. See, the need that you're trying to meet is not a bad need. 
just where you're going to get it. Because all of us have this choice, just like the Israelites. Am I going to go back to Pharaoh where I was in bondage? Or am I going to go to my father? One is a chain restaurant. The other one, family owned and operated. Pharaoh or your father. Now, this is what I love about God. Because God knows what I really want. And he has what I really want. See, this is not a depressing sermon. This is a good news sermon. Because I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus came preaching the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the good news that Jesus preached was the message of the kingdom. And in one of Jesus' most famous sermons, he said something that I never understood before until this week. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Put it on the screen for me. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I never understood that. Because if you're hungering and thirsting, how are you supposed to be filled? But now it made sense to me when I look at the story of the Israelites. Because the reason they craved what kills them because they lost their appetite for what filled them. So what I want to do is flip the question. The question isn't, why do I crave what I hate? Why do I crave what kills me? The question we need to ask ourselves is, how do I stay hungry for holiness? God, help me stay hungry for righteousness. Help me stay hungry for what's holy. And we see a key here in this passage. So you can read it for yourself, but I'll summarize some of it for you. The people are complaining. Moses, the leader of the people, he hears the complaining. He can't deal with it. He's like, God, I need your help. These people, they are too much. I I can't carry them. I can't carry this. I can't handle this. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find some men that you trust. And I want you to call them. I'm going to take my spirit that's on you, and I'm going to take part of it and and put it on them. They're going to help you. And, and you're going to need their help because some stuff is about to go down there. I'm going to give them some meat. So he, he calls people together. But, but God gives Moses some instruction for all the people. This is what God says to tell. This is what God tells Moses to tell all the people. He says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. Because you're going to eat meat tomorrow. Now, now, I need to explain this quickly. But, but consecrate means to create separation. It means to create a distinction between two things, a a divide, a a separation. That's what the word means, but maybe the method is is what really matters because consecration is not a one-time thing. In fact, you read through from when the children of Israel left Exodus all the way to when they went into the promised land, there were 37 times the word consecration or consecrate is mentioned. That means we need to continually consecrate ourselves. How do we do it? Well, this is how they did it. They would wash their clothes and they would bathe their bodies. Now, that's not so strange. Like, for us, that's just normal hygiene. Here's the principle, all right? They were supposed to make a break from the things that they were entangled with and they were supposed to come clean about the areas they've neglected. Make a break, clean break, 
from what you've been entangled with and come clean about the areas you've neglected. Now remember, consecrate is to separate. What is it that they needed to separate from? It tells us. It tells us in verse 4. You might have missed it. It says, the rabble with them begin to crave other food. Now, I know everybody here is smart and knows what rabble is, but because Pastor TJ's here and he doesn't study his Bible as much as you, I want it for his benefit, I want to explain what rabble is. Because <laughs> this word rabble, it only appears in the entire Hebrew Bible right here. Hebrews 11, 4, the only place to mention. When the Israelites left Exodus, and you can, or left Egypt in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, they left in a hurry. They left at night. They, they left in such a rush that they didn't put yeast in their bread. That's why when they observe Passover to this day, they observe it with unleavened bread. And two million left Egypt the Egyptians were predisposed to give them things. It's an interesting story. Read it in Exodus chapter 12. 600,000 men plus women and children. And it says in Exodus 12 verse 38, something I never noticed till this week, it says, many other people went up with them. That's the rabble. That's what the word rabble means. It, it, it means that when they left they didn't leave alone. There were Egyptians and other people and likely, the, you know, scholars would say, likely other slaves, other prisoners that when the, when the Hebrews left, they're like, I'm out and I'm going with these people because like God is on their side. So I don't even know I want to be an Egyptian anymore. I'm just going to kind of go with them. So let me break this down for you. When you left your life of sin, you didn't leave alone. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about preferences, paradigms, patterns, ways of thinking that were mixed, that you were mixed up with. And so God is saying to the people of Israel, you're craving what kills you. You've lost your appetite for what's holy. And if you want to take care of this, you got to remove yourself from the rabble. You, you've got to consecrate yourself. And this is not a one-time thing. You got to do it as often as you feel, why aren't, why, why am I not, why don't I want to read my Bible? Why does the worship not hit me? Why don't I have a, a, a mood or an attitude to go to church? Why, why am I kind of numb to the things of God? Why have I lost my appetite for what's holy? The moment you notice that, you got to consecrate yourself. Consecration is not a one-time event. You do it as often as you need to. You can do it every day. I did it this morning. I said, God, God, I, I, I need you. I want to be used by you. God, fill me with your spirit today. I need a fresh feeling today. God, let me be a vessel that you can use. God, the stuff in anything that's been in my life that's not honoring of you, I want to repent from. 
God, God, I commit myself to you afresh today. That's consecration. It doesn't have to be that long. And here's why it matters. Because I'll read you the rest of the story and you can check it out for yourself, but this is what happened. God gave them what they craved. Killer craving. You know, lots of times we think about God giving us the desires of our heart. We think of Psalm 37, 4. It says, commit your way to him and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the counter is actually true. If you don't commit your way to him, God will give you over to the desires of your heart. That's Romans 1, 24. Also in the Bible, God gave them over to their desires. Either way, God is either going to put his desires in you or he'll give you over to your fleshly desires. So what happened is God says, I'm going to give them meat. And he gave them meat. It says one translation that I'll give them so much meat, it's going to come out of their nose. They're going to eat meat for a month. God gave them meat, but the ones that craved it didn't get to consume it. Look at it's the second to last verse in the chapter. It says, therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. When you read through Numbers, at least in my Bible, it's got little headings. Headings are just put in there by, by translators, but it's got, this is Camp Kibroth Hatava. And then you read some place, this is Camp, and they'll give the name of it. All these places that they named. You know what Kibroth Hatava means? Graves of craving. They named this camp the Graves of Craving. That's where we camped. Because people craved other food. A killer craving. The ones that craved it were not able to consume it. They should have had a feast, but they ended up having a funeral. And I just felt in this moment today, what God had for us is that this would be a moment of consecration. That, that all of us here would, would take a moment and say, God, I commit myself to you afresh today. I've lost my appetite for some things that, that, that are holy. I've got, I've got some cravings that are killing me.